Uh, I'm, I'm Nick Zola. I teach New Testament at Pepperdine University. I'm Douglas Jacoby, and I don't. <laughs> but it would be a plum posting. Okay. <laughs> it is indeed. We'll just, uh, for, a, for a very quick moment, remind you what we just ended with and then continue on into this next section. There are a great number of positive things that occurred in the International Churches of Christ in the decades from the mid-60s up until the early 2000s, and there are a series of very unhealthy things. And I think it probably is important to say, which we may not have made explicit, that there may well still be unhealthy things occurring in the International Churches of Christ, as there are unhealthy things that continue to occur in the Churches of Christ. And so we, we don't want to leave you with the impression that everything has been fixed on either end of, of this conversation, right? And so let's make sure that that, that is clear. All right. Um, let's see. Is this one me? Yeah. So uh, here's our plan for this second session. Uh, last time we did uh, DDD. the DDD, right? The dates, the DNA, and the damage. Now we're PPP, uh, like good preachers are. Uh, purposes, progress, and practicals. Uh, so we want to talk about what progress has been made, and our focus in particular is what progress has been made in the organizational structure of the International Churches of Christ and in the communication that has begun to reoccur between the Churches of Christ and the International Churches of Christ. Uh, we'll remind you about what our, what our purposes are in this, and then we're going to leave with some potential ideas, some practicals about how we can continue to dialogue. And so, then questions. And Yes, and we'll leave extra time for questions this time. Uh, here's what we're not doing, and here's what we don't want to accomplish, although we wouldn't mind, I suppose. Uh, it is not our goal that we end agreeing on everything, right? Agreement cannot be the goal. We will simply not achieve that. So it, it is not the goal that we come at the end, either today, obviously, but even in the next ten years or something like that, and have the Church of Christ and the International Church of Christ come to agreement on all issues. That's, that's not what we expect to happen. Nor is it um, our imagination that the International Churches of Christ and the Churches of Christ will all somehow merge together magically again or something like that. Again, not that we would be opposed to the idea that churches begin to merge and work together, but that is not our purpose in doing this. Our purpose instead is... Because after all, it's hard enough even for two ICOCs to merge or two <laughs> Churches of Christ to merge. It, it just takes the littlest thing or, or the most obstinate person. And, but we can, well, we can affirm our Christian unity. Correct. And I think we've spoken about the uh, well education. I want people to know our past, our common uh, shared history, right. to talk to each other and to show humility. And that will lead to not reinventing the wheel. That will lead to sharing resources. A question I frequently ask as I travel around the world in local churches, I say, well, what outside speakers have you had in? Have you taken advantage of the Christian churches or the Church of Christ? Uh, these guys who really know the Bible or others who can help you? Oh, no, no, we, we don't trust anyone else. We do it. That's very much like marrying your cousin a few generations, and you'll be like the royal houses of Europe in the previous centuries. <laughs> Should move on to the next slide now. Uh, Maybe that's best. <laughs> Doug, you can take this one. Oh, right. So um, Nick has called this a year of apologies. And yet 2003, many would say there was no apology or it was insufficient, or it was, okay, we're sorry about that, we're going to do better now, because normally, if you really mess up, you get out of the way and you let someone else take over. You know, you don't stay at the helm. And so we are aware, similarly, that some of you would think that we're being too kind, too gentle, 
dismissive in this class, and others may think that we're being reactionary and too harsh, but it's hard to find the right balance. Yearly conferences, particularly of church leaders and elders, started happening almost as soon as what is sometimes called the tsunami or the implosion, or what's your term? Yeah, um, the Crete letter. <laughs> yeah, and I like to say, I don't blame Henry, he's a, he's a great guy. I say it's like an avalanche in the Alps. There's some yodeler walking up on the top, and he accidentally kicks a piece of snow, and there's an avalanche, and you can blame him, but really the thing was unstable before, so please don't blame the yodeler. <laughs> Reconciliation talks at the lectureship at ACU. Well, this is great. You, yeah, why don't you talk yeah, about that? Uh, yeah, so in 2004, what occurs, and this is actually part of what eventually convinces me to go get a degree at Abilene Christian University, uh, is that they have, for the first time in maybe over a decade, members from the International Churches of Christ come to the yearly Abilene Christian University lectureship and sit down with members of the Churches of Christ and have a dialogue. They apologize on both sides for ways that they had castigated the other. Uh, the International Church of Christ members apologize for the ways that they referred to the Church of Christ as dead and as, as no longer um, Christians. The Churches of Christ apologize for the ways that they referred to the International Church of Christ as a cult and as a sectarian, you know, divided movement that is no longer um, in the realm of, of kind of biblical understanding. And, um, and so this was at least... I think what was called at the time a first date uh, in terms of reestablishing connections, although I will say also that that dialogue did not seem to recontinue or um, reconnect in, in years after that at Abilene. What did happen, though, next is in 2005, at, at this very lectureship, uh, at that point run by Jerry Rushford, Jerry Rushford hosted another dialogue between Andy Fleming of the International Churches of Christ and Jeff Walling of the Churches of Christ, and I love the title of this, and Doug mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, the title that Jerry gave to this is The International Church of Christ and the Church of Christ uh, Renewing an Interrupted Family Conversation, which is very much in keeping with how both of us have intended this presentation to be. Renewing an interrupted family conversation that we were part of the same family once, and we broke off, and we have the chance at least to begin talking to each other again. Not that there isn't more to work out, right? Hey, hey, intrude. Of course. So Andy Fleming is from a Church of Christ background. Uh, and you, Jeff Walling, have you been at the conference here? I mean, he's such an amazing fellow, so supportive and positive. Yeah. Um, Jeff loves what's happening in the ICOC. We spent a couple hours together uh, two days ago. It was so encouraging. Andy loves the Church of the Christ. Now, he's very realistic. He'll say, well, they're not growing, and they are, and that guy's got an attitude and this. And, but we've got our issues in the ICOC, too. But we, we're called to love each other, whatever we think of each other. And uh, many of the names you see on here are men who are just excellent at, at loving. You, and those of you who are in the room... <laughs> Some of you are present right here now. Right. Um, you are to be commended. Yes, Sorry. Thank you. No, not a problem. Uh, in 2006, the... Initiation discussions happened earlier, 2005 and maybe even earlier than that. But in 2006, what is publicized, published, is a plan for united cooperation among the remaining members and leaders of the International Churches of Christ. This plan is eventually ratified by uh, over 95% of the existing churches 
in the International Churches of Christ. And so this becomes, and remember I was using this terminology earlier, the ICUC 1.0, you could say, is kind of the pre-version before 2000, ICUC 2.0. So this is when we move into kind of ICOC 2.0 range, if you want to think of it that way. The ICOC is beginning to restructure itself. Now, this is a slide that has a lot of text on it. Uh, I'm not going to go in a great deal of detail on all of this, but I wanted just to run through with you, especially for those of you who are here who are not part of the conversation within the ICOC, about what has happened in the last decade or so. Uh, And there are probably people present here who could speak to this far more legitimately than I can, and I acknowledge that. Uh, In 2007 and then and beyond, a delegate system and a service team system is established. So the ICUC leaders um, create a delegate system such that depending on how large your church is or how many churches you have in a particular geographic area, you send delegates to help make decisions as a whole. In other words, the ICUC is attempting to move towards a kind of consensus-based leadership model, almost a democratic-based leadership model. They create service teams, and these are divided into various categories, evangelists, teachers, elders. Not all of these exist as early as 2007, but some get added on later. Missions, campus, youth and family, benevolence, uh, women, administration, communication, and so forth. Um, Service teams that have individual leaders within those teams that are um, tasked with making sure, for instance, in the teaching ministry, that the teaching ministry continues within the larger group of the International Churches of Christ. By 2010, that delegate system has been formalized and kind of ratified uh, as within the churches that are part of this cooperation agreement and, the, and that are voting. Uh, and then some key moments. I'm just going to highlight a couple key, key areas. In 2012, San Antonio hosted what they called the World Discipleship Summit. I was... Uh, Still living in uh, Texas at the time, so I was able to attend that. Uh, Over 17,000 people from the International Churches of Christ attended this. And, uh, importantly, it also had people from the Churches of Christ Mm -hmm. and even from the Christian churches, the independent Christian churches who were present there as well. And so, in many ways, the the International Churches of Christ are, are beginning to reach out to their, to their fellow uh, brothers and sisters in the larger Stone Campbell restoration movement. And this is already happening before that as well, I should say. Uh, they're, they're, this is, a, in a sense, a, a new watershed moment, you might say, in the International Churches of Christ. This is a point where I think the International Churches of Christ begins to see that they are a group again, that they are growing again to some degree, that they have a unified body of believers in the world and and that unified body of believers wants to work together to cooperate and to rebuild some of what they had and to make it better than it than it was oh, clarification so the the growing again you know in going from 90,000 growing by about 20,000 to just over 110,000 so that's not it's small growth in one way but it's not insignificant correct uh, four years later, they have a, a second conference. This time, they call it the North American Discipleship Summit because they also have summits in various other countries in the world. But um, the, the one in St. Louis, I think, becomes more of the, of the kind of the dominating narrative uh, for that particular group of conferences. Um, again, for instance, Jeff Walling, who we've just mentioned, uh, is, is a speaker at this conference. Uh, other people... Uh, so I was present at this conference... 
uh, as a representative of Lincoln Christian University when I was a professor at Lincoln Christian University. So coming from the Christian churches at that point, representing uh, our university at, at that conference. And, and so they are beginning to reach out. The ICOC is beginning to reach out further than it had been in the past. Both of those conferences have relatively positive write-ups that occur in the Christian Chronicle, which is a Church of Christ publication. And so members, somebody from the Christian Chronicle attends the ICOC conference, is invited uh, personally by Roger Lamb, writes up a report, uh, and it's a fairly positive report. At this point, um, a global missions report is released in 2016. By this point, the ICOC has now redivided the world into 32 regional families uh, in the sense of these are where the ICOC churches are located. And these are 32 regional families that are now working together and cooperating together for world missions. And then that leads us up to just last year in 2018 in Panama, a fairly significant vote occurred. Uh, the leadership and the delegates and the service teams were envisioning and considering how to structure the International Churches of Christ. One plan that was on the table was more of a global um, leadership plan, and another was more of a regional leadership plan. Uh, the, the entire plan was referred to as ICOC 3.0, so this is actually internal terminology to some degree. And the vote that occurs eventually focuses more on the regional idea of structural of structure than the global idea of structure. Which involved sharing resources, financial and people, and it wouldn't have been a throwback to the old system, right. but it would have taken us definitely some distance that, yeah, in that direction. Closer, yeah, so again, it's not, there, was no, there was no hint of returning to a single person leading an entire group of churches or anything like that. But it is telling, I think, that enough members in the ICOC were uncomfortable with a more global plan that they preferred a more regional plan, bringing them closer in line to the way that the Churches of Christ tend to structure themselves, although certainly not the same. For instance, there's far more cooperation within the International Churches of Christ in terms of missions and benevolence work and so forth that Churches of Christ do not generally participate in. So that, you could say, goes from ICOC 2.0 to 3.0 back down to 2.1 is the, is the terminology that I have seen used. And we admit this is simplified, oversimplified. Yes, this but is you didn't want more detail, did you? <laughs> Probably not there. You know, in the Restoration Movement, this was a hot issue in the 19th century. Uh, there were a number of hot issues, but one of them was the cooperation issue. Yeah. We want to evangelize the world. Are we allowed to establish missionary society, which in essence would be above the church level? Or if we do that, are we not uh, on the road to building the Vatican you know, in our own movement? Interestingly, I mean, this is the restoration movement. On the way here, you walk right past the desk, the pulpit, the preaching, the pulpit of Alexander Campbell. If you didn't notice it, you will on the way out when you get your picture taken there. But this cooperation issue has always been a tough one in the restoration movement. Yeah. So, um, little excursus. Uh, it, um, Kip had to step down from uh, leadership uh, for various reasons. Ended up moving to Portland. If you can look in the square uh, in the bottom left there. Um, came to the ICOC meetings, but basically eventually thought, I'm going to start my own thing. Now, that's a very abbreviated uh, way of describing it, but it's true. 
and he decided to call it the International Christian Church. The thing is, we used to be called the ICC, well, which I thought, you know, it's the Interstate Commerce Commission. That's not helpful. <laughs> and then someone added the O-N, and then you, but then you have the Independent Christian Churches who are ICC, but now this is called the International Christian Church. So it's been going 10 years or so. They have, uh, I guess they're heading up towards 70 churches. It's around the world. Often, uh, re- they're baptizing people, but they're also cl- reclaiming, reclaiming disaffected members of the ICOC. I think that, unfortunately, the best way to understand and to characterize Kip's new movement is to say that Kip McKean is doing to the ICOC precisely what the ICOC did to the Churches of Christ. In other words, during the 80s, when the ICOC began to call out the remnant and to make declarations that the Churches of Christ are dead and are no longer growing and, in fact, are no longer even Christians, and if you want to be part of anything real, you need to come and join us, that is unfortunately precisely what Kip McKean and the International Christian Churches are doing to the ICOC now. So history repeats itself. Let me just mention two more things on this screen. In the Crossroads era, um, as all these young people are becoming Christians, and sometimes their elders, their older people are not excited, um, how do we refer to ourselves? Well, we're, we're trying to be totally committed. And that was a, a phrase that you heard a lot in the Crossroads era, being totally committed. Although... I mean, what's the difference between total commitment and commitment? If you're committed, you're committed. Okay. In a sense, to um, distinguish the Boston movement from Crossroads and even from the rest of the Restoration movement, as I mentioned, um, in the early 80s, the word disciple was latched upon. And now, in this next iteration in the International Christian Church, the phrase is the sold-out disciples. So are you sold out or are you just a disciple? Well, of course, sold-out disciple is not a phrase that appears in the New Testament. Key doctrines, and this is in print, you are following a false Jesus if you have no discipling partner, if your church is not led by an evangelist and who must be under the authority of Kip McKean. Now, he wouldn't necessarily say that directly, but your church leader has to be discipled by an evangelist in a different church And ultimately, that is underneath one person. And third, unless you agree that uh, the Bible says we must evangelize the world in one generation. I think all three of those are highly debatable. But those are the key uh, distinctive doctrines, as I would look at it. Would you add? No, I would would agree. There There was a moment in the early 2000s where I was speaking with a very top level leader in the International Churches of Christ. And this is just as... Kit McKean's new movement is beginning to get underway. And this top leader says to me and others who are around him, well, when you look at the church in Corinth, and Paul sends the letter, you know, 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, he doesn't start a new church in Corinth. He tries to address the issues that are in Corinth. Hmm. And, And my first thought was, then why did you start the International Churches of Christ? Where... How would you answer someone from the Churches of Christ in the mid-80s or the mid-90s who would use that very same argument to you? But that was quite blind to this leader. That was his way of describing what Kip is doing to him, and he had no ability to see that that's exactly what he had done to others. 
And so what I would what I would say to maybe anybody who's in the international churches of Christ at this point, who is very quick to criticize uh, the international Christian churches, Kip's movement, just remember that that is how the Church of Christ felt 10 or 20 years ago. Right. That's, that's what it felt like. And so have some sympathy there. Right. And if you didn't know, the, um, the, this is based in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, the leader lives right here. Yeah. So you're, at, you're very close to it. Yeah. All right, here's what we're going to do now. We're shifting uh, into some areas in which communication and dialogue has begun to reappear within the ICOC and the COC. And this is just really a sampling of things. You, you may have your own examples, and if you want to share those in our Q&A time, uh, then, then you're welcome to do so. We've already mentioned some of the dialogues in the ACU lectureship or the Pepperdine lectureship. Uh, Doug had his own uh, conference in 2006 entitled Who is My Brother? to which he invited both members of the Church of Christ and members of the uh, independent Christian churches and had them speak. And it was, a, I think, a very positive sign. One of the first times in at least recent history of the ICOC where that kind of communication led from an ICOC side had occurred, and that was very important. Um, there are various publications, one or two of which I brought with me here. Foster Standback, who was uh, in various parts of the ICOC and eventually in, in Los Angeles at various points as well, uh, came and did a master's degree at Pepperdine in the early 2000s, finished, I think, in 2003, as his thesis for his master's degree wrote a history of the International Churches of Christ up until that point, and eventually published it through the publishing arm, what became the publishing arm of the ICOC, the IPI Illumination Publications International run by Tony Mulholland. Uh, and so that is still accessible. You can still purchase this book and you can learn a great deal about the history of the ICOC up until at least 2003 when, when his narrative uh, is cut short. In 2010, uh, John Wilson, who's here present among us, uh, was able to um, use the um, periodical of Pepperdine University, Levin Journal, um, as um, uh, a venue to help explain what had happened in the International Churches of Christ up until that point, and actually invited several members of the International Churches of Christ to contribute articles. And so in various names here that you'll recognize, John Wilson, Tom Jones, Gordon Ferguson, Steve Staten, Roger Land, Steve Brown, uh, Jeannie Shaw, and Wyndham Shaw all contributed articles to this 2010, and you can get access to that online now um, as well. And I already mentioned the positive reviews of the two um, conferences in 2012 and 2016 in the Church of Christ Christian Chronicle as well. So in other words, dialogue has begun to reform. And in fact, in 03, with the collapse, with this total um, you know, implosion of the ICOC, a very common reaction, probably the most common reaction that, that I experienced from brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ was not, he told you so, now you know, or, no, it was, you know, you were doing so many things right, you know, if you just change this or that, but it's like, don't stop, don't give up your passion, and sometimes they said, don't become like us, which is an incredibly humble thing to say, and a number of figures in the Church of Christ were very helpful at this time, I mean, I think, uh, John Wilson of Pepperdine uh, in London, helping our brothers and sisters over there, and also in Mexico City where his, uh, with his wife, Claudette. I mean, this was a fantastic thing. It wasn't just, well, we'll pray for you, but, you know, investing time, building relationships. And most of you won't be aware of that, but, you know, I wish you, I wish you were. 
Well, certainly it's progress when there is some training. We need, at the very least, we need biblical training. Uh, Jesus gave several years to his apostles, and, and that's why Peter was able to so masterfully handle the Old Testament on the day of Pentecost. So whether you have to go to seminary or not, that's a different discussion. But I think it's been quite positive how many leaders from various parts of the ICOC, even before O3 started, uh, getting involved in restoration movement uh, schools. So Chicago leaders with Harding, uh, L.A. with Pepperdine, it is kind of convenient, and also now with Rochester, some of you. Um, ACU, which is convenient if you live in Texas, although if you live a thousand miles away from it and you're still in Texas, it may not be convenient. Upper <laughs> state, isn't it? It used to be its own republic. And then Lipscomb University, which is in Nashville, uh, the ones who host the annual Christian Scholars Conference, uh, and Lincoln Christian University, where right now, um, I mean, I've been doing adjunct work there for a while, thanks to Glenn Giles, an elder in Denver who is from the Christian church background, and also Steve Kennard of New York City. A number of undergrads also attend universities in the Church of Christ. And Pepperdine, uh, among others, has a fairly large contingent between 20 and 30 or so uh, students who are from the local LA ICOC who are in undergraduate students at mm. Pepperdine. And, and Pepperdine has begun to try to open their arms to these students, I think, and, yes. um, and, and nurture them. And, uh, and, and that's another way of fostering communication. Um, we wanted to, to note that we are actually aware of a handful of churches that have merged together. This is not the rule. This is by far the exception. But it, but it exists. Uh, I have personal experience in one. When I lived in Hamburg, Germany in 2007, I went initially to work with the ICOC there. But this was a time, as you know, of, of severe identity crisis, particularly in the international ICOC churches, where they lost a great deal of United States support. And so this was a church that in many ways was... Financial support. Yeah, financial support. Especially. Is um, this was a church that, uh, that was really, in some ways, had only recently been planted, and began to communicate with their local Church of Christ, the Gemeinde Christi in, in Hamburg, Germany, uh, and had communications, and because I was on my way to Abilene Christian University the following year, I became something of a de facto liaison between the two churches. I had, at that point, studied enough to know some of what the ICOC had come from and some of what the Church of Christ was, and over the course of that year that I lived there, they joined together as a single church, and still are a single church. They have no paid minister. They rotate through who preaches. Various people have moved in to Hamburg from both the Church of Christ family of churches and the ICOC family of churches and have joined in with this church. And, and it's a church that still continues today. I visited them just a couple of years ago. And so that's, I think, an example of great success. Uh, the Munich church uh, in the ICOC and the COC did something very similar much more recently in 2014 where they began to have conversations and then realized they could benefit each other. And, and I'll say this, there's something... When we're talking about specifically just the ICOC and the Church of Christ, there's a mutual benefit here. The ICOC brings a spiritual fervor that in many cases is lacking in the Church of Christ, a dynamism that is lacking in the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ brings a spiritual maturity and wisdom that in many cases is lacking in the ICOC. Together they complement each other very well. 
and they can learn and grow from each other very well. There's something to be said here. And maybe the most interesting example of all of these that is uh, very oddly full circle here is in 2018 and then officially on January 1st of 2019, the Gainesville International Church of Christ and the Gainesville Church of Christ merged into a single church and now meets in the building that initially housed the Crossroads Church of Christ. Uh, they've, they've renamed themselves, so they each had their own name. One was, I think, the Gainesville Christian Church, and the other was the Campus uh, Church of Christ, I think. And they've renamed themselves as the Campus View Church, and, and they are one body. And, and how did that happen? It happened very much in the same way that what's happening now in Los Angeles, that I'll explain to you in a moment. The ministers began having lunch or breakfast, I think, once a week together. Or just members started having breakfast once a week together. And as they did that, they built a relationship and they realized we are far more the same than we are different. And there are resources that we can share here that can be of value to each of us. And, and it, took over, it took a great deal of time, but they built a relationship that allowed for this to happen. Now again, let me say, this is not, we're not saying this needs to happen in every situation. We're not saying this is necessarily our goal. But what we are saying is the gospel is being preached when churches come together again in the name of Jesus. And, and there is glory to God to be, to be expressed when, when people can let go of what makes them different and join on to what makes them the same. Now, I'll explain uh, one more thing that's happening here in Los Angeles. Many of you are familiar with this already. and Some of you were, the, you know, were part of the instigators of this even before I've been, become part of it. Uh, there's something that's very neat called Common Grounds that is happening in the Los Angeles area. And what this is, is not just Church of Christ and ICOC, but Church of Christ, ICOC, and Independent Christian Church people from all of these branches coming together quarterly for breakfast. And the, and the motto is, unity starts with a cup of coffee. So you must be a big coffee drinker, right? I, uh, I drink hot chocolate. So for me, <laughs> unity starts with a cup of hot well, that's, chocolate. That claim is groundless. The, the, yeah, well, the principles. You had that one ready, didn't you? No, I just yeah. thought of it right now. <laughs> uh, I don't plan my humor. <laughs> and what is beginning to happen here is resources are being shared, right? So this begins as a chapter kind of in the Simi Valley area. And uh, churches in this area, ICOC and Church of Christ, realize we are next door to each other and we've never communicated with each other. We're next door to each other and we can begin working together and sharing resources and facilities and so forth with each other. And now there's a second chapter in another part of Los Angeles. And the idea is that anyone can start a chapter anywhere that they want where they simply want to begin communicating with the other branches of the restoration movement that are near them. And, And so we encourage that very much. Um, Excellent. Move on to practicals and then give you time for questions. Apologies may have been given, but probably some are still waiting to be heard or need to be given. If we've got your humility, we won't gloss over these things. And we should mention that that goes for both sides, right? Yeah. That, 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 that damage has been done on both sides. And, and I know from personal experience from having talked to people, there are people who still feel that apologies need to occur. And, and so mm. that needs to be said. The damage is not done. The damage may yet be ongoing. Secondly? Yeah. Um, we very much value, you know who's standing in front of you, <laughs> we very much value continuing education. I, I teach New Testament, uh, and I will say this, that my, my initial motivation for seeking a biblical degree 
particularly at a Church of Christ university, when I was in the Boston Church of Christ, the Boston ICOC, was so that I could give back to my fellowship, so that I could help prevent some of the mess that we had found ourselves into and, and fallen into that I think could have been avoided because we were so poorly educated. And so what I would highly encourage, and this goes for Church of Christ ministers as well, is that ministers make it their default that it is part of the expectation to be a minister in the International Church of Christ to have a degree in Bible at some school. I think this will only benefit the ICOC. And as far as, as I can provide it at Pepperdine, I am very much in... I very much desire to help support that idea. In fact, we are in the Religion Division of Pepperdine currently working on a remote master's program to help facilitate that idea, to go from city to city and make it more easily available for those ICOC churches that are not near uh, a Church of Christ University or any other Mm. Christian university to make it education more accessible to them. So we highly value that. Just as with the Christian churches with Lincoln, we have students all over the world. And a lot of my students, they get their MA, they're from the ICOC. Others are Christian Church or Church of Christ or sometimes some of the other denominations. Uh, but that continuing education, is uh, that's a big deal. Uh, as I mentioned before, sharing conference speakers. If I'm going to a conference, I always ask organizers, who are you bringing in who's from like outside your tribe? You know, someone will have fresh eyes and offer something. Yeah. And I'm very encouraged when that happens. But if it often happens, well, no, not only we're not doing that, but we would never do that. It might confuse our people. And fourthly, get to know your neighbors. Um, if, you, if you read Ephesians chapter 2 and into chapter 3, and you see how Paul describes what is probably the area that is most divisive of the first century church, the area of how Jews will get along with Gentiles. And what to do, whether Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be part of the family of God. And you see Paul's answer to this, Mm -hmm. where Paul describes what it is that Jesus has done. That Jesus has broken down this wall of hostility. That Jesus has taken these two and made them into one humanity. I think that is easily applicable to every area in which the church is divided. And one of those areas is, is... within our Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. And so when you sit down with a fellow believer from another branch of the movement, you are living out the gospel. Paul calls this the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel for him is the mystery that God always intended to bring the Gentiles into the family of God and make one new humanity out of Jews and Gentiles together. And so unity is part of the gospel. The gospel is being preached when you sit down with a fellow believer. Not because you're baptizing them, not because you're pulling them out of their tribe and into your tribe, but because Jesus is there present with you and it is the mystery of Christ right there as you become one in the way that Jesus and the Father are one. And so our our perspective is this is the gospel. This is precisely what Jesus called for. Clearly, we're not saying that nominal Christians we should accept as brothers and sisters, people who you know, don't have a spiritual bone in their body. 
Well, we're talking about unity among Christians, Christ followers, and they're not just in your group. Yeah. Amen. All right, that comes to an end. We promised that we'd give you time for questions. We have uh, almost 20 minutes. No, what do we yeah. have? Uh, about yeah, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. We have 20 minutes of time for questions. Uh, I will try to repeat the question so that it is heard by all and also recorded onto our audio. And so, so let's simply begin. All right, so please. So let me repeat the question for those who couldn't hear it. And I'll let Doug address this one. Um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what comes around to you, Nick. Yeah, good. <laughs> the question was simply that in, uh, in our list of weaknesses and in our list of assessments, one of the abuses that we mentioned was a sexual sin and sexual um, uh, abuse. And so the question is, what, what are we talking about there? There's a current of abuse in various forms running through the history of most denominations and certainly uh, even in the Church of Christ. But I should be a little bit more specific. And if you were with me last night here uh, to hear the keynote message on, uh, on, on David and Bathsheba, it was uh, devastating. It was so uh, amazing. In the Crossroads movement, frankly, there was a system... Um, sexual sin, homosexual sin, uh, people being in the bed together, things going on even in the crossroads building. I know now you think, ugh, I don't even want to visit that place. But we've got to hold in tension the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, yeah, I'm not going to be very specific here at all. In the uh, Boston phase and in the ICUC phase, there, there were, are a number of instances. Now, if you're in the ICC, you wouldn't have heard of most of these because typically the person's removed from power. Um, but there, there are a number of, not just women, but men, but much more women uh, who've been severely damaged because they've been taken advantage of, just as David took advantage of Bathsheba. And all I can say is these things must not be covered over. That's not the gospel. And the gospel is not just for the strong, whose reputations must be protected. But we need to have the love and the courage to address things. Nick, am I Thank putting you, it okay? I think that was excellent. And, and I should probably explain the reason I asked Doug to say that is because this is not knowledge that I have. So this is anything that I could report would only be reporting what other people have may have said to me. Whereas Doug has at least more firsthand understanding of some of this in terms of where he was in levels of leadership that I didn't have access to. In king culture, to use the phrase from last night's keynote, uh, various kinds of abuse are very likely to happen. And if you say, wow, I'm surprised, I didn't know, I'm not aware of anything, uh, let's not be naive. Uh, And the world is doing a great job reminding us about every 36 hours there's another scandal. Let's be wise and holy. Thank you for the bravery of that question. I appreciate it. Okay, please, more questions. Yes, in the back, please. No question, but a comment. I'm just very encouraged by this whole presentation. You know, like this is music to my ears. This is something I've been really praying about for a long time. And so I'm just very pleased with this, this fact that everybody's coming together and trying to talk and work out the differences. Thank you. For those who couldn't hear, he's encouraged by it, so I think we should just end there, actually. Let's, just, let's go. Call it a day.
And uh, yeah, thank you very much. All right, let's Don't do call it. on the guy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> let's see in the corner, and then we'll come over to this side after that. Yeah. Right. Renew.org is a, a revival, reform, a movement within the restoration movement for those in the Christian churches who are willing to be totally committed or sold out or disciples, whatever you want to call it, and the Churches of Christ and the ICOC. Uh, you can learn about Renew.org, which is really quite new, officially just rolled out uh, last year by going to renew.org. <laughs> That's also the website. There's some powerful videos there. But the idea is very simply, uh, we're supposed to be making disciples. And I find that most people agree on that. We may have different approaches, and different cultures will require different approaches. But this is, uh, uh, this is a, a way to share resources and Im- get input and receive coaching and read great books and connect with like-minded people. And Bobby Harrington is the engine behind Renew.org. Is that good, Bobby? Yeah. Thank you. Do you want to talk about why you're a part of it? Because you pressured me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, because uh, we met a couple couple of years ago at at one of the Unboxed conferences, and Bobby was great um, because he's from the Christian church, and he said, let me speak frankly. You guys did a lot of things right, you had some really bad theology, too. You did some things very badly. But you did a lot of things right, so it was kind of bittersweet. And then in the solution section, you said, one thing you've got to do is connect with like-minded people. And they won't just be people in your group, in your movement. You need to be... There are people outside who have the same passion. And so it's really all about networking and... Uh, there's a kind of an advisory committee of eight or nine uh, people from the ICOC, the COC, and the ICC, the Independent Christian Church, and I'm one of those guys, and I'm very proud to be one of those guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, I saw a hand over here. Please. How does discipleship work in the ICOC today? What protections have you put in place to avoid the abuses of the past? All right, so the question is, how does discipleship work and discipling work in the ICOC today? What protections have been put in place to avoid some of the mistakes of the past? Doug probably is more in a place to answer that than I would be at this point. It's hard to answer because things are hardly uniform. I would say in many places the safeguard that's been built is that people remember the past and if things get hairy, if things get too intense, they they say, no way. So there's, and this is in living memory. Um, in some places, discipling is more like with three people, like groups of three. Some people in some churches prefer to have group activity, you know, as in five or ten women or men. And in a lot of churches, they simply say, just find somebody and get some mentoring. But in most are very reluctant to say, no, you should really be with him. The truth is, if you're studying the Bible, if you're baptizing people, then who helps it's kind of dictated by the relationship. I mean, in our, in our group, we're studying with a 70-year-old guy. Hopefully, he'll get baptized soon. Who does he know? Well, he knows me and he knows John. He'll probably want to still meet with us. And, and as long as we're respectful and not manipulative or controlling, that's a good kind of discipling. But uh, it's no easier to put in all the safeguards than it is to mandate how this is done. We have to trust local leadership, which hopefully is wise enough to learn from this, but 
I feel your concern. I'm very disturbed by things I've, I've heard over these last 40-plus uh, years, and it's a very legitimate question. I wish I could give a better answer, but for right now, that's all I have. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, so one example was uh, her daughter is part of the ICOC now. She chooses her own discipler, and they can choose to take the advice or not take the advice. And I, and I think probably it would be safe to say that there, because of the n- newer way that the ICOC is organized now, there isn't one way of doing it in all of the ICOC anymore. Uh, and so, it, so it's in, in a sense, it's a question that can't be answered because there isn't, there isn't one way in, at this point. You know, the Crossroads phase, they called it prayer partners. And after I was baptized, I, I learned I was going to have a prayer partner, which was fine. We prayed and we talked a little bit. And I, I think it, it, I'm not saying it wasn't legalistic or that there wasn't abuse in the Crossroads phase, but the level of control and abuse was raised a few notches in the Boston phase and the ICOC phase, particularly in the first half of the 90s, it went through the roof, um, just uh, lunacy in many occasions. Yeah. Okay. See so a hand here. Hi. Um, first of all, thank you. Really awesome and very interesting. Um, so recently, um, I went to a, an elder retreat. My husband's an elder in the, in the ICOC, and they were talking about women's issues and systemic racism. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You want me to rephrase it? Let me cover, well, yeah, you can rephrase it. If just you rephrasing it because we're trying to keep it um, compact. Yeah. Just as you know, you can be racist and think you're not racist, and you go online and take a test, and wow, you're highly racist. Whoa. We may think that we have charitable attitudes and towards each other in, in, on both sides of the rift, but we may not. Yeah. So where so, do we go? So let me speak to that, and I think that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Because so I grew up with no Christian background. My initial foray into Christianity was in the International Churches of Christ in the late 90s. Uh, And so I accepted more or less what I was given without any kind of narrative to counter it. Uh, It turns out that I grew up around the corner from a church of Christ, a mainline church of Christ in San Diego. Uh, And I would drive by it every once in a while and say, oh, that's interesting. They have a similar name to us. I wonder if they're related to us. Probably not. Right. Um, Until I went and visited that church. And I met the people of that church, and I sat down and I had conversations and meals with the people of that church before 
the Crete letter and before the, um, much of the implosion of the ICOC, when I began to realize there's more to this narrative than I have been given and there's more than I have realized, and I discovered that much of my initial impressions were not correct. It is not a dead church, and it wasn't a dying church. And so I think my answer to you in many ways would be to say, and to all of any of you on either side, right, on, on the side of the Church of Christ who has certain impressions of the ICOC, and on the side of the Church of or on the ICOC who has certain impressions of the Churches of Christ, visit, meet real people, and then allow those humans to help build a new narrative of who your brothers and neighbors and sisters are. Uh, and, and then another thing that you could do would be to switch preachers from time to time. We have this in, uh, um, in our swap. slide. Yeah. yeah. Allow a Church of Christ preacher to come preach at the International Church of Christ. Allow the International Church of Christ preacher to come preach at the Church of Christ and build communication that way, and you'll begin to redevelop your narrative, I think. So, good. All right, let's go over here, and we'll jump back to the other side again. Um, one of the things that's been my major concern that you guys talked about in the first class, I think, is that typically it seems like we're not looking for people who have been to seminary or a Christian college, because typically how it seems we find our evangelist is the guy who's an evangelist clicks with a college student that he really gets along with and he trains him to be just like him. Okay. So we're kind of repeating our DNA mm. over and over again. And I've approached people about this, like, we need to stop this. <laughs> so how, 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 how do you make that happen? Do you want to rephrase this? Sure, yeah. How do you have okay. these conversations where people will win? And I love... It's a great question, about, Mike. Yeah, yeah we will. So the, so the question is, for those who couldn't hear... The ICOC has a pattern, rather than relying on biblically trained or seminary trained, I should say, uh, ministers to raise up a minister from within, often a minister who is converted in the campus ministry, who shows a particular kind of dynamism or shows a particular kind of personality that fits with the typical ICOC model, and that person becomes the next leader in the ICOC, rather than sending people out to be trained at a seminary and then bringing them back in in some way. Yes, two thoughts. Personally, I feel before someone should be added to the staff of a church, he or she should be in the process of getting that education, either already having received it or uh, about to enter it. We have a horrible weakness, and this goes back to the keynote a couple nights ago. You know, we we judge by the outward appearance. And if someone is winsome and uh, non-Christians like him, and he helps people become Christians. We think, okay, that's the guy who should be uh, hired. Well, I've discovered that often that's, it's the opposite. Because you hire that guy, and he'll, he'll never be as effective as he used to be. And now he's burdened by all this extra ministry. We've got to uh, and in assess... In addition, yeah. add, that person is very good at reaching out to more people like that person and loses all of the people who are not like that Because they say, well, it's easy for you because you work, you work for right. that group. And uh, so we, we tend to look at personality. We should be looking at character. I, just keep, keep pushing. That, that's, a, that's a huge thing. Yeah. That's a very important point. I wrote a book called Campus Core. I've given it to a lot of people. Um, that's got some answers as well. But we, the culture has got to change. Most of these young people who go on staff, they end up coming off, and then they're, uh, they're very disappointed. 
it's not God's will, I don't think, for most of them to be working for the church. It's a, it's a mistake. And there are ways in which that is changing, right? There are many Pepperdine uh, students who are ministers in the Los Angeles International Churches of Christ, and, and so our hope is that that would continue to happen. Bravo. I just want to be really clear in case this gets back. I do sincerely love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, but I see this <laughs> Yeah. And fortunately, I'm in an area that has amazing leaders, and they are seeking educate. But <laughs> you were only called Mike on the recording. No one will know which <laughs> Mike it was. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> let's go with Aaron, and we'll come back on this side. Have we shared this with other churches and our leadership groups typically receptive? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but you can't make anybody. I, one of my pet peeves is when someone say, oh, he got out of the ministry. I say, oh, sorry, he's not a Christian anymore. <laughs> no, no, I mean, aren't all Christians in the ministry? To try to change the clergy laity talk is almost impossible, the lingo. I mean, I, I mean I'm constantly telling people, stop saying that. We're all in the ministry. We're all participants, not spectators. And you're part of the problem with your, your terminology. And usually people forget that I even talk to them. It's very hard to change. <laughs> this is in the DNA of all denominations. Yeah. We've got to work hard on that. Good. <clears throat> I saw Brian in the front, and then we'll go back over here again. Yeah. Well, I'd say just kind of piggybacking off Mike's kind of, how would you guys, you didn't really mention, I guess how would you put it in context of higher education overall, as being both super educated? I, I, as a person who grew up in the ICOC and, and somebody who's worked on a master's degree, I think that the culture has really changed. I've been in the ministry 19 years, so I've, I've seen that culture change. So you were, think, you were baptized in the year 2000? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> in the uh, ministry? Well, yeah, I know I just said it. I know, I told you. But, uh, but, uh, but part of the, of the I think part of, on, on both sides, it seems like there's been a little bit of a, of a, of a change, because I think Part of the resistance to higher education was just the, the culture of higher criticism, uh, the 19th century mm-hmm. scholarship that, that really destroyed a lot of people's faith, not within just our context, but I think ministers overall or, or, or secondary education overall, just seeing people have their faith lost in seminary. So I think that might have been part of it. Uh, and so, so how would you comment on that? And then I, I'm noticing... We're, we're almost ahead of our time, so if you could shorten okay, sure. just a little bit. I would just say what the ICUC did, which is train on the job, yeah. I think that's becoming more popular, I'm noticing, in other groups and more respected. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of both, both sides of that. You want to condense yeah. it? I don't, I don't know if there's a question there necessarily. My, or, my question yeah. was, do you notice a trend in higher education? Uh, do you think that overall that contributed to, to the... the kind of philosophy that ICOC had. Was, okay, so yeah, so was, was, was the ICOC part of a larger trend of, yeah. of letting go of or of not emphasizing formally trained ministers? And I'm not, I'm not aware of that. I guess I will say this. In my experience in the Churches of Christ in the South, so Texas and other areas like that, um, it is more often the case to find a well, to, I shouldn't say that way, to, to find a, a seminary-trained minister in the larger city churches, and very frequently the case to find a country preacher yeah, a country preacher who is not trained in the seminary in a smaller rural Church of Christ. Uh, and so in that sense, the Church of Christ, and, in, and I would even say 
those churches of Christ can even be anti-educational to some degree because of the elitism that often comes with a university education. And so in that sense, the ICRC probably mimicked some of what it received from the Church of Christ. As far as larger trends go, I don't think I can answer that. All right, I think we have time for one question more. So, so let's go here. Okay. I was in the Yes, we did. Um, I joined them in Johannesburg, ended up in New York City, uh, ended up getting sideways with them, asked to leave the house, didn't kick me out of the church, was homeless for three months in uh, New York City, uh, lived in a tent out on Long Island. But to make a long story short, Very short. Mm. it's taken a long time for me to stop being angry. Uh. Mm. At you at the at the system, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's. Uh, uh, I'm not waiting for an apology. I have to forgive without an apology. The, the system. What I've gathered recently, I'd like to say this, is that you're not sending this. The system is not sending people to mental hospitals, and and marriages ending up in divorce and financial ruin, like it used to happen. And that's what I gathered, and I know that from outside sources, okay. psychologists and so on. So your comment is that um, there, there, were, there, there have been many destructive effects, impact of practice and uh, doctrine, theology, have been very negative in the past, and we, we admit that in both of these classes. Yes. And you think that it's less so now. I think everyone would agree yes. it's less so now. But that concerns me a little bit, not because I want anyone to be hurt, because some, but sometimes what is uh, it cons- what's construed as gentleness and spirituality, it's just apathy. It's inactivity. Yeah, they're not doing anything to hurt others. Because they're really not doing anything at all, except you know playing video games or whatever they are. Um, we need to wrap up. I'm sorry, but we can talk more in the fellowship. We'll be here for a little while. Uh, you guys have been an incredible audience. Let me Thank- just add, though. So let, let me acknowledge what has just been said here as well, okay. and 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 let it have voice. That. As we've said many times, but I want to make sure that we say again at the end, there, there has been damage here, and there is ongoing damage here, and it is, it is not our intent to sweep that damage away. And there may well be ongoing damage even still in areas of the international churches of Christ, also in areas of the churches of Christ as well. And, and we, want, we want you to know that we know that, right? And that it is part of the collective responsibility of the body of Christ, to address that kind of hurt, to acknowledge it where it happens, and to work towards processing it and ameliorating it where we can. So, so thank you for your willingness and your bravery to, to share that. I want, I want thank you. Thank you very much.